This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Bear down, baby. That's it. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Hall. The hits principle is corny, old-fashioned, and all that. But you know what? These guys are buying in. And Dan Weeder. I get criticized all the time for being negative in my coverage of the Chicago Bears. And I tell people, again, it's my 10th season. I have covered one winning season and zero playoff victories. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome into Take the North, the podcast that talks all things Chicago Bears. I'm David Haw, along with Dan Weeder of the Chicago Tribune, episode five, right before the Bears preseason finale against the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland. And then we will be looking ahead at the 2022 season. You can find us at, at Take the North Pod on Twitter, at Dan Weeder, W I E D E R E R, at David Haw. And Dan, Finally, we are reaching the end of the preseason schedule. Yeah, we've hit that point, David, where I think it's time for everyone to push this thing into the regular season so we can advance some of these storylines where we can get a better gauge of where this football team is at. Today, uh, Thursday, August 25th, out at Hells Hall, the last practice open in its entirety to reporters. Next week, we will go into regular season mode where we'll basically see them stretch and do maybe 90 seconds of individual drills, and that's it. So this was the end of the road for our eyes to uh, to dial in on practice today. You mean now Matt Eberflus can start being secretive about injuries? <laughs> he can be secretive about everything going forward. He doesn't have to share anything. So transparent so far. So yeah. Anyway, let's get to our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the, the opening drive. Okay, let's start with this, Dan. Obviously, since the last time we talked, the decision has been made. The starters will play 25 to 30 snaps. It's created a little bit of a, uh, I don't want to say it's a controversy, but it raised some eyebrows. It's a new regime. They want to set a tone. And I actually like it. And I think that it shows an awareness that you need the experience, especially with a young quarterback. How was it received? And what do you think about the decision to do that? Yeah, well, I'm with you. I think this is a good thing for this football team, particularly this offense. I would not have had any issue if Matt Eberflus chose to treat his defense and his offense differently in this preseason finale and said, hey, the defense has showed us enough through training camp that we're going to put them in bubble wrap and get them ready for the September 11th season opener against the 49ers, but our offense needs work. He has instead chosen to play most of his starters and key regulars through the first half. He did say that there will be some veteran exceptions. I'd imagine guys like Robert Quinn would be on that list of maybe taking a series and then and then sitting on the sideline for the rest of it. But when you talk about where this offense is at, where this quarterback is at, where everything surrounding this unit is at, I think it really benefits them to get game action experience to potentially build momentum, maybe get a little confidence going into the regular season. Justin Fields needs the work. This offense needs the work. It's an unproven group of receivers. It's an unstable offensive line. So let's get them some work and some game action and, and hopefully score some more points, right? Like the Bears have only scored three points with their first unit offense in these first two preseason games on four possessions you want to have a little bit more momentum you want to have a little more belief heading for the regular season so i'm behind it 
I think, too, it's consistent with the whole approach, the overall message and, and just the, the tone that I've set. I, I think it would be really difficult to have a tone where you have increased energy, increased hustle, increased everything in terms of intensity. And then you say, well, we're going to tap the brakes and we're going to not you know, do what we need to do to maximize our practice time to get better as much as we can. I understand and the risk of injury is always going to yep. be there. Risk versus reward discussion is always going to be calculus. It's hard to hard to kind of compute uh, depending on your team and depending on your your situation. And we all can come up with examples from Rex Tucker to Greg Olson to you mentioned Cameron Meredith. Yeah, but I think those are kind of the exceptions to the rule. And the rule here is you need to get better in preseason. And as, as I kidded yesterday on the radio. It is the hits principle, not the sits principle. <laughs> so when it's the hits principle, not the sits principle, it makes sense to me that you would want to maximize this time. Wasn't there also a situation early in Rex Grossman's career where he went down in the preseason game? Uh, he had a couple injuries early in seasons. I know there was one in the regular season. There might have been one in the preseason that's, that sets you back, right? And so that fear is always going to be there for you. You don't want any of your key playmakers to go down in this game. But I do think that there is a juice squeeze to this, and I think there is some juice to squeeze out of this opportunity in Cleveland on Saturday night. It's an opportunity to, again, get the timing of that offense going. To Again, we, we talked on this podcast at length about Justin trying to increase his pocket presence and his pocket feel. The only way to do that is to go against opposing defenses that you're unfamiliar with and to feel out situations within a game. This is going to be an opportunity to do that. Uh, I think Matt uh, Eberflus also was very clear at the outset of the week in saying, listen, here are the things that I'm looking for as a head coach when I throw my offense out on the field uh, in this game for the first half, right? He wants them to play through the first half. He wanted them to establish an identity and a style of play. And he used the word aggressive multiple times in saying that that's what he wants to see out of this group on Saturday night. He said he wants to see a clean operation, right? You want to have good effort and a clean operation without silly penalties. And then he talked at length about situational success, right? We're going to talk all year, particularly with the quarterback position, about being good on third down, being good in the red zone, Potentially on, on Saturday night, getting a chance in a two minute drive. We'll see how the dynamics of the game play out. But I think they're rooting for their team to have the ball in the final two minutes to be able to go through that procedure one more time in the preseason to see if they can add some polish to that. Again, add some momentum and, and build some confidence. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. Do you know how many repressed memories you worked <laughs> when you mentioned the 2005 injury? To Rex Grossman against the Rams. I think it was in St. Louis back in the day. Yeah. I remember that moment. I remember that year. I remember that feeling. And now you have brought it all back, Dan. I apologize. I apologize. And look, I mean, that that was a weird setback for a team that obviously uh, found its footing with Kyle Orton, right? And ended up going into the playoffs and, and then having to, to play around with that. But man, like you just don't want your future franchise quarterback to have that detour based on a preseason game. But at the same time, I think we're both in agreement that given the current state of this team, this offense, this player, let's go for it. Let's see if we can get him some more work. And let's move on to the second point here. I think that the conversation this week has taken a turn to asking players about their thoughts, uh, how quickly they embrace the hits principle. <laughs> to Eddie Jackson to Matt Eberflus talking about how to incorporate it. What it still stands for? Look, you know, at my core, I, I am a football guy. You know, I'm a college football guy. I come from the same Mid-American Conference in terms of my football sensibilities that Matt Eberflus comes from at Toledo. I played against Eberflus <laughs> in, the nine, against, in the glass bowl. So, I, I mean, I understand 
the way he's communicating because it speaks to me, the football, you know, meatball junkie. But I also understand why people would find it corny. I, I found it interesting, Dan, this week, him talking about, I think it was as recently, was it today or, or on Wednesday? On Thursday, yeah, on Thursday. And Thursday, just talking about the origin of that, being asked to explain himself again, because that is, to me, I think, you know, like Levy Smith changed the culture in 2004. I think Matt Eberflus has begun the same process in 2022. David, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I think you're right in saying that maybe it's best to start with Matt's own words, right? And on Thursday afternoon, he was asked uh, to give us some more detail on when he decided to take some of the things he had learned from mentors and coaches and turn it in to this acronym and turn it into this HITS principle. Here's what Matt had to say. First come up with the idea for HITS. I don't think we've ever asked you just like the origin of it. Yeah, I mean, it was really when I was with Rod. Um, you know, I was I was in Dallas, and Rod uh, and I got together. I think it was 2013 or 14, somewhere in there. I think Rod took over in 2014, and you know the impact that he had on me because I would look at his drills and how he did uh, his thing with the defensive line because he was defensive coordinator and coaching defensive line at the time. And I said, "Well, shoot, this guy's a master coach." I said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna try to be as good as him." And, and do it his way. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to come up with a with something that I can measure, you know, so I can give immediate feedback to the players. And so everything is measured, you know, so every play, every detail. So you want to talk about, you know, how the intensity part of it? Well, I started measuring the last three yards. So from contact, you know, from player tackling to hitting the player running running the ball i measured that last three yards i want to see an acceleration to and through okay and then a hamstring tackle after that so that's one way we would measure it you know it's like the well the low system has been around since the bucks but um you know the detail of that so i wanted to do that with the hustle and the intensity part of it and then the strip attempts you know are you really stripping it every play not just sticking your hand out there to appease me but are you really going after it and, you know, we coach that every single play, and it's all measured. So you can coach details every single play. And what you'll see is that when you do it offense, defense, and kicking, your, your team will, will understand the exact standards because everything's on the table. You don't hide anything. It's like, well, you got to strip attempt. I'm just going to let that go. No, we're not going to let that go. you got to get a strip attempt there. This is how you're going to do it. And uh, the players have bought into it. And, you know, we'll see where the buy-in is. You know, we'll see it. we got to see it. We're only good as our last performance. We'll see what we do this performance. Was it pretty easy to come up with the acronym for it? Like, did you know, I mean, HIT, obviously, physical football. I mean, did you have an idea for what the letters were going to stand for? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty creative. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) um, I would say that uh, it was, you know, yeah, I just came up with it. You, you talk about doing these measurements where, where you guys look at the film for the instant feedback for your linebacker coach, your tight end coach. Yep. How long does it take, if you have a 90-minute practice out there, how long does it take them to go through that film to actually assign all these grades that you're talking about? Yeah, so during practice, we don't really we don't give grades. We just coach it you know, as we see it. But during the games, it takes a long time to grade. I mean, it takes a long time to grade because you're looking at, you know, most people just look at scheme. You know, okay, he did his job and, you know, okay, completed pass, all that. Well, we don't look at the game that way. We look at it a different way. So we have to grade those things every single play. And you have to put yourself in your position through that principle, through those foundations. And if you do that, 
then you're, the product will look like it's supposed to look. If you don't let it and let it go by, let it go by, and then all of a sudden it's going to creep in. Your your team's not going to look the right way. Uh, David, that's a, a lengthy description on the high-powered microscope that Matt Eberflus uses to judge his football team on a daily basis. And I think this is more than just a bunch of letters, right? This is about a grading system, right? And, and the way that they go about, as he said there, exhaustively measuring and assessing and analyzing performance through very specific categories that gives players an idea of what they're looking for. And if you don't meet the standard, you're going to be corrected and in some cases admonished. And if you do meet the standards, the results will likely show it. So it's a really cool way, I think, for Matt Eberflus to set the standards. Now, I'll say this. He said himself, we've got to keep an eye on the buy-in, right? And I think there has been buy-in over the last four weeks of training camp. My comparison here, my analogy is it's like when the, when a new restaurant opens up in your neighborhood and there's a grand opening and you go to the grand opening and it's crowded there and the food's good and everyone's putting their best foot forward and you say, man, this place is really cool, right? Like the food's good. There's a good buzz here. People are here. And then three or four months down the road, you have to make sure that that place retained that standard, right? Retained that buzz and that it's not just two people in the corner and the food's kind of average. And so I think there's a big difference between getting the buy-in and then sustaining it for the long haul, particularly in a season where I think we're in agreement where the results are, are not necessarily going to put you in playoff contention. And now you've got to figure out a way to, to, to keep guys' effort levels at the highest of highs, even when the, the, the circumstances don't, don't allow them to be there naturally. Well, that's what it is right there. The way you, you use the word effort there at the end, when you are evaluating and grading effort, it is much easier to get that buy-in because that's what's rewarded and that's what's noticed. And even though, look, it's a bottom line industry, you need wins and losses. You want to keep people out of the end zone. You want to keep drives and offenses off the field, but you can sometimes just not be able to stop a guy. If you're a, uh, you know, if you are are not able to go up and get a a, a, a pass and not be able to stop a, a receiver that's just physically better than you, you sometimes have to accept certain things, but you can never accept a lack of effort. So I get what he's what he's trying to instill here, and I do think it takes a while because this is not the way that typically professional sports franchises and athletes are are wired. I mean, eventually, eventually they might be, and you can kind of recondition them. But people come get complacent because they yeah. get paid and have success. Eddie Jackson is an latest example, which is why I found his response to the hits principle more interesting even than Jalen Johnson's this week because Eddie Jackson needs this to <laughs> I think, save his career because he doesn't lack ability. He doesn't lack awareness. He lacks discipline been able to be that high-effort guy, high-intensity guy each and every series. Right, and there's going to be a lot of guys, obviously, that have to, to apply this to themselves, right? And I think the first time that I became aware of this as a, a attachment to Matt Eberflus's resume was back in January, even before he was named the coach, and we were obviously on a daily mission to do research on the 25 candidates, that, right? Remember that we're interviewing for both positions, the GM and head coaching position. I remember reading a story out of Indianapolis on, on this hits principle and thinking, man, this is going to be one of the first things this guy brings up in his introductory press conference at Hallis Hall. And he did. And naturally, there are a lot of people out there, uh, including some of, of the players that Matt inherited, including Jalen Johnson, right, that rolled their eyes initially and said, I didn't buy in initially. I said, what is this all about? 
I've been kind of riding that same roller coaster, whereas back in the winter, you're kind of like, okay, you know, it's an acronym. We can rearrange the letters. It spells something else that's not quite as flattering, you know, all that stuff. What is this actually going to get out of paid professionals when things matter? Well, then you start to see the results in training camp and you see an elevated uh, standard at practice. You see the way, particularly defensively, that guys are finishing plays. You see the energy and then how it becomes infectious. And again, it reminds you of some of those great Bears teams of the 2000s, the Urlacher, Briggs, Tillman, Alex Brown groups, right, that flew around to the football and, and, and made plays on a regular basis. And all of a sudden that snowball got rolling and then you couldn't stop it. And so you say, okay, now I buy into that. Now I've reached a point in August where I say, damn, David, we need regular season football games because we've spent a lot of time here in week negative one, which I think is what we'll call this here, going into the final game of the preseason, talking about the hits principle. And I'm all talked out on the hits principle, right? Like I, I, it's, 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 it's been beaten to death at this point where we actually need to apply it to regular season results. And, and as we heard from Matt Eberflus there, they need game action against real first unit opponents to measure this stuff against. We need a, a, a winner or a loss in one of those columns. And we need the micro analysis on every play, you know, 60 snaps on both sides of the ball that, that tell you where this team is actually at applying this in, in real situations. And so I think, you know, I, I, we were joking in the media room on Thursday that, that some of these stories that are being written this week might become punchlines in four years if this regime doesn't get the long-term results and they get kicked out the door like the last three regimes have after three or two or four seasons, right? And so you have to be very careful at attaching long-term significance to things prematurely. I agree that it feels a little bit experimental because you do have professional athletes that are being asked to adhere to or embrace something that's very collegiate, you know, even, even like a high school type of mentality. And, and the part of me that, that has watched the Bears, you know, fall short or watch players just not have the right approach or focus is like, OK, it's about time. Yeah, because in Matt Eberflus, I don't know how many games he's going to win, but I do know that if I were an assistant coach, I would want to sit next to him at a clinic because this yeah. is the guy that's going to talk the talk and he, he's going to live it. And so if, if nothing else, you think this Bears team is going to be disciplined and they may not have the most talent. They may still lose double digit games, but I still think they're going to have a style of play, particularly on defense, that you're going to respect. Well, last Saturday, he made a subtle acknowledgement, and he called this the foundational floor. And this was in the context of Roquan Smith coming back into the mix at practice and saying, listen, the foundational floor is this effort. It's this standard that we set in the way we play. And then when we add talent, to that foundational floor. Now, all of a sudden, you can build something something strong. And then, to me, that was the acknowledgement that, listen, there's not championship-level talent here. We can talk to we're blue in the face about the number of difference-making players that they need to add to this roster to be relevant in the NFL again. But at the very least, if you can establish a standard before all that blue-chip talent get, gets here that's unwavering, now all of a sudden that momentum can be built up and you don't have to start from scratch even as you add new pieces and hopefully more talented pieces to the mix. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. All right. We will move on if we can. Now we're going to... (laughs) As much as I don't want to spend a lot of time on our next topic, we do have to address Mike Martz, the rogue offensive coordinator who went rogue this week. Some people don't think he went rogue. That's my uh, interpretation of it. But Mike Martz was being Mike Martz again and saying uh, something very controversial about the Bears offense, lack of talent, and comparing it to uh, the 0-16 Detroit Lions that uh, was one of the worst offensive units he had ever seen, and this Bears unit reminded him of that. Then Fields. You know, Fields is a guy that is not a – he makes a lot of mistakes, not particularly accurate at times. He's not a quick read-and-react guy, and he's on a horrendous team, talent-wise. Well, that's – I don't know if I've seen an offense that bad in talent since the 0-16 Detroit Lions. You know, they just don't have anybody there. I think if you put Rodgers down there, Rodgers would be last in this list too, you know. Okay, that's from the 33rdteam.com where Mike Martz is a contributor and a lot of football guys read and contribute. Dan, okay, I, I will get this out of the way. Mike Martz deserves our respect for what he's accomplished in the National Football League. And he was an assistant coach on a Super Bowl champion, the greatest show on turf. A lot of his ideas and innovations are the reason why there was success down in St. Louis. But Mike Martz, in saying what he said, it gives the Bears coaching staff absolutely no credit for being able to schematically help Justin Fields develop in his second season and maybe take the strides that he just described it and thought he, he he's incapable of, of making. I don't like people that jump to premature conclusions, good or bad. And I am not here to be, and we aren't, have, and only ever have been Justin Fields' apologists. No. Now, let's be fair here. This is this is a, a veteran, respected NFL voice, even though he has a coach in the league since 2011, by the way. This is a respected <laughs> NFL voice amplifying concerns over Justin Fields and announcing, declaring that he can't get out of this hole that the Bears have dug for him career-wise. And I don't like that because I do think it ignores some of the things and and then it forces us to point out, you know, Mike Martz, you know, he wasn't right about Greg Olson when he demanded he be traded and all this stuff feels very petty. And I just don't think it shows the Bears coaching staff a lot of respect. I think you need to separate the message from the messenger in some cases here and, and and just understand kind of what Martz is hinting at. I think he's exaggerated it to uh, uh, too much of an extent at, at how talent deficient this offense is. That doesn't give any credit to Darnell Mooney, who had a thousand yard season in his second year in the league and obviously has a up escalator going forward into his third year. It doesn't give credit to Cole Komet, who obviously I understand has a lot to prove, hasn't shown much in his first two years. And I can see why an outsider would say, yeah, I, I I don't know that that guy's a good NFL tight end. David Montgomery, pretty good running back, right? Like that, there's a talented piece that this offense can use to hopefully unlock some things for Justin by establishing a reliable running game. Uh, you did say that was the 33rdteam.com, right? 
that's I, I think there's some power rankings that have the Bears as the 33rd team in the <laughs> league going into the regular season. So maybe it was fitting in that regard. They're but, ahead of the Bears. <laughs> yeah, they may have, they may have moved down to 34th after yeah. today's practice. But look, I, you know. This is where some of this preseason talk and why I said in the previous segment that we've got to get to regular season game action because people run out of things to talk about and we get to this bridge where where we're out of uh, meaningful storylines and then we get kind of pushed into this other forest where there's things like this to talk about for a week that we don't have any evidence one way or the other to either support or refute. Right. right? And so we've got to get into that phase now where we're gathering more evidence and maybe, you know, come Halloween weekend, you and I can revisit this conversation and say, was, was Mike right? Or was he way off base because this offense is growing? Well, I think that's fair because I think when we talk about Justin Fields, good or bad, we qualify it and it's conditional based on this or based on that. And if this happens or if that happens, then he can take a step if they roll him out and, and use play action passing uh, game looks and, and they can have a running game that resembles anything that's respectable. We qualify these things and we say, well, if he doesn't get more accurate, then this will happen. What bothers me about guys like Mike Martz, they, they, they abuse their reputation in that they take advantage of the fact that they have that respect and they talk in such certain terms that he can't possibly know and be as sure about what's going to happen the way that he talks about it. That makes him a great public speaker in a terrific interview. That makes him a lousy guy because I think that he now has declared this young quarterback has no chance in Chicago because of the circumstances that are stacked against him. When in fact, I think that it's how do you look at the, the football world? Glass half empty, glass half full. This is a glass half empty approach. If you're looking at it half full, you're thinking Luke Getze, pretty dynamic play caller. The designs that we have seen in preseason give Justin Fields a chance to accentuate his strengths. And you've got an open-minded play call that's going to tailor game plans around the skill set of his franchise quarterback. You've got an offensive line that is athletic and trying to do, do make the best of what they have. Limited potential, limited talent base, absolutely true. But tell me how they can win or not, or they can move the ball with these circumstances. Tell right. me as the coach what you're going to do and how smart right. you really can be. Right, because that's what coaching is, right? It's taking right. the pieces you have and getting them to achieve higher than they could as as individuals. And so that's up to this coaching staff to bring out results better than most of the league expects because every week there's a new story of somebody ripping this team saying they've got the 36th best offensive line in college football or the 34th best offense in, in the history of uh, you know the 21st century of the Bears. I'm looking here right now at, at some of the players who were on the 2008 Lions team. Calvin Johnson was on that team. That's a pretty good piece, right? Uh, Kevin Smith was their leading rusher and their three quarterbacks david would you be willing to uh wager a guess on the three guys who started games at quarterback for the 2008 lions one was dan orlovsky i believe (laughs) he started seven games john Uh, sean sean hill john kitna started four and dante culpepper in a different phase of his career started five games there so there's 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 what mike is comparing this group to and, and, and okay, let, let me acknowledge openly. Okay, I, I understand there's some bias here because I, I did not have a, a positive opinion of Mike Martz when he was in Chicago. <laughs> the one thing that Jay Cutler and I might have bonded over during one interview session was our contempt for something Mike Martz had done or said. And I can't remember the context, but I know that we were smiling and nodding in agreement <laughs> that something that Martz said made us roll our eyes. So I, I acknowledge that up front. I don't want to consider... You know, I, I might have to consider the source, and that might be why I'm triggered by uh, the way I was when I saw that this morning. But 
I just think they're extenuating circumstances. Well, right. And and I also just think that there is way, way more evidence needed to cast a verdict of that significance, right? That's just such a landmark statement to make when when I, I'm guessing that Mike hasn't broken down all 27 snaps that Justin Fields has taken as a, a, a you know preseason quarterback in year two in this system with this new coaching staff. And again, it's uh, it's up to this coaching staff, right, to 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 tap into what they have and make the most of what they have. And and they deserve that opportunity before we get out the blow torches and turn them to, to, to high power and light everybody up around here. All right, let's look at what we learned. You go first, Dan. All right. So I was going to take you down the path of the more things change, the more they stay the same. And that would be my way of saying that this offense has struggled through the month of August. The defense has looked pretty good and it's looked very familiar to a lot of training camps I've covered where the defense is celebrating a lot. The offense is unbucking those chin straps and getting back into a huddle on the sideline and feeling frustrated. And there just hasn't been enough offensive momentum to build. But I thought that would be too uh, redundant for, for, for Bears fans and our audience. And so I'm going with this. This coaching staff has shown us that they are willing to try and trust young players, right? You obviously look at some of the rookies that they're turning loose, obviously hoping to start Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker in their secondary in week one, looking to start Braxton Jones as their left tackle on offense, looking to try some things with Larry Borum and Tevin Jenkins here late in the month of, of August to see if those guys can be answers for them. This is the state of the roster right now, so some of this is by necessity, but certainly Certainly, uh, Matt Eberflus, Ryan Poles, and all the people around them have, have been open-minded to letting young players change their mind, earn their trust, and take advantage of opportunities. And so it's going to be really, really cool, I think, uh, over the next three months to see which guys succeed when given the chance and, and which ones kind of fade to the background. And then we can kind of assess which direction this franchise is headed. All right. This is what I learned. I, I think everything about these answers are going to be very personal and individual. <laughs> so I think that I got tired over the last three years of the redundancy of questioning a coaching staff that had earned our skepticism. Yep. And you stopped trusting Matt Nagy because everything that came out of his mouth was somewhat confusing. And and I really like Matt. I know you did, too. But I, and I think that he was a likable guy, affable, as we would describe him but not always logical in the way that he approached things in his, in his coaching staff kind of reflected that. And it was all over the place. It wasn't real cohesive. The message was very mixed at times. And I think that as a result, you saw a team that was somewhat undisciplined, uh, sporadic in its uh, success. And sporadic is a great word, you know, and inconsistent overall. What I like about this training camp. And again, speaking just from my own personal perspective, I don't know how many games they're going to win. I, I can see the same flaws that Mike Mars can see and not be as, as mean and pointing them out. <laughs> but, but, but I think that I have, I have gotten to a place where what I have learned is that I really respect this approach. And I really like the fact that on offense that Luke Getze has been a guy that I, I am buying into what he's, what he's trying to sell schematically, um, oratorically in, in a lot of different ways, whether it's, he's calling plays or, or talking at the podium. Matt Eberflus, Alan Williams, these are coaches that I think are football guys. These are guys that I think have their players' best interests at heart. And I do think that I've gone from being you know, skeptical on a daily basis, cynical for a living, watching the Matt Nagy era and regime unfold and unravel to, man, I love football boy, this is fun. And I'm back to that guy. And I really like that and appreciate that because 
I didn't expect it. And I, and I know I, I may regret saying this, you know, it's August 25th or whatever. And next month, by, I may already regret it. <laughs> but now in preseason football mode, I really have learned that I like what this staff brought to Chicago. Let's turn so, it over to Studs. Let's see what he's got. Yeah, I, 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 I'm gonna kind of tag on on onto what David was saying. It has to do with the coaches. So, and, and first off, David, like I think what you're hinting at is maybe we we all didn't realize how unorganized things were under Matt Nagy until we saw organization under what at least right now is organized under Matt Eberflus that we can tell. So the playing on that, the thing that. I, Ibrahimovic is completely obsessed with small details, and this was put in my brain by Peter King when he came through Bears camp a few weeks ago. He said that in talking with him and in the past that Ibrahimovic is obsessed with the details, and I think we've seen that play out. We saw just in his press conference on Thursday today how finite they get with details on players. They go down to are you okay? You wrap the guy up. Did you go for the strip? things like that. And so they're grading players on every single detail about how they're playing, not just did you do your assignment or not. I think that that obsession with details is a good sign to see. I mean, obviously we don't know how this is going to play out, but I think it's a good start for Maddie Rufus's first camp. That's a good one. All right. Time for the two minute drill. The two minute drill. The two minute drill. All right, let's start with the first one. Roquan Smith back at practice. First play, I think he was in full team action. He made a play behind the line of scrimmage. Dan, how has he looked at practice and what do you expect? Well, listen, you uh, remember very quickly what Roquan Smith's lateral speed looks like. You remember very quickly what Roquan Smith looks like when he's coming downhill and finding an opening and, and meeting a ball carrier. I think Roquan Smith has looked really good in practice. One of the things we didn't talk about in the opening segment because our focus was sure, purely on the offense is that Roquan Smith is going to be on the field Saturday night in Cleveland. His head coach said as much right earlier in the week that they want to ramp him up for the regular season by getting him some game action. And so that's going to be uh, something where, you know, me being up there in the press box i can't just put my head down and write because it's late on deadline and the offense is off the field i gotta keep an eye on roquan and see how he's moving around see how he's adapting to this defense and seeing the the types of openings that this system allows him to have to make plays and so uh so far so good in terms of his effort in terms of his uh ability to again like we talked about earlier in the week push some of the the contractual discontent to the side and just go out and play football it's going to be interesting to see where he takes it in the next few weeks and i'm excited that that we're going to get a glimpse of it under the lights in Cleveland on Saturday night. I respect the fact that he's got to you know play a new position and schematically line up and on the weak side and there are a lot of different looks and some motion adjustments and checks and this and that but I think it's still football and he's still playing linebacker and you still expect him to make three out of every four tackles that uh, the Bears are going to make uh, beginning as early as Saturday night. Offensively I wanted to ask you we heard Braxton Jones talk about <laughs> The scouting report against him is that he is susceptible to the bull rush. I'd say the biggest thing for me is uh, anchor on the bull rush a little bit more. Um, be prepared for it. Um, I've kind of put it on film that, uh, you know, I, people can bull rush me. So just, you know, that's what people are going to do. Um, so just be more prepared for it and, uh, you know, throw my hands again. I'm, you know, in the last preseason game, I wasn't throwing my hands very well. And I'm just, I just got to use my hands more and more efficiently. And when he says something like he just said, I don't know if that's 
good awareness? If that's naivete, is that something you want to inform the rest of the league that you are feeling that is a weak spot? Does it matter? Because they're going to see what you just described. I, I thought I liked his honesty, Dan, but is that something you want to encourage or discourage if you are the Bears? Yeah, I'm okay with it because I, I, I have enough faith in the other coaching staffs around the NFL to be able to watch tape and identify weaknesses of a young player and try to exploit them. Uh, it's maybe not the best to, you know, say it with exclamation points and, and maybe Braxton didn't get that, that far into it in saying that. But I do think that this is a, another sign of this kid's maturity and his maturity is the one thing that's earned him this prolonged look from this coaching staff and being willing to see those weaknesses, being willing to put in the time and the effort and the care to address those. And, and so it's going to be an ongoing process, right? I think Braxton sees that. And I, I followed up with him uh, the other day and, and, and just asked him, obviously coming from the FCS, coming from Southern, Utah coming from a smaller level of, of college football and now being asked to start at the premier position on the offensive line in the NFL, how patient is he with himself through all this? And he said he can be very hard on himself, right? And that, that's something that young offensive linemen in this league have to deal with early in the regular season. I remember having conversations with Kyle Long in the locker room his first two years. Remember, you got to remember Kyle not only started uh, as a rookie, but then underwent some position changes as he went through the process his next couple years. And, and there were days where the – self-doubt creeps in right and the struggles create create a, a mental struggle that can be really really challenging and so it's going to be really uh, interesting i think to to measure braxton jones's is mental fortitude as much as we're measuring his his play on sundays and keeping his young quarterback clean i want to ask you this real quickly on the depth chart they list riley reef at right tackle michael schofield at right guard and I even think maybe Lucas Patrick is still listed as a center. There is a discrepancy between what is on the depth chart, which I think is probably easily dismissed, and what we have seen. Is it going to be Braxton Jones, left tackle, Cody Whitehair, Sam Mustafer because Lucas Patrick is out, and then Tevin Jenkins next to Larry Borum? Is that the way they're going to line up with the number one offense on Saturday? Yes. On Saturday, yes. Now, is that what they're going to line up like on September 11th? I'm not certain, right? And so it's going to be really interesting to monitor this. We've got, we're a week away, uh, less than a week away now from the roster being cut down to 53. And beyond that, a few days after that, we should have an opportunity to speak with Ryan Poles, the general manager, uh, to kind of get, obviously, his recap of the cuts, but also to to get his perspective on what's evolved in this training camp. And one of the things that's evolved in this training camp has been an offensive line that has changed three, four, five times due to injury and other circumstances throughout the month. And you kind of have to dial in with a former offensive lineman to figure out what he's seeing, what his philosophies are, what he wanted when he signed Riley Reef on the eve of preseason, what he's gotten out of this training camp, where he sees him. If Riley Reef enters the regular season as a swing tackle, that's going to be surprising to a yeah. lot of us that saw him signed on the even trading camp as a, as an almost certain starter, given the money they were paying him. And so um, again, you know, we've talked about this before that, that, that you have to be able to solidify an offensive line. You have to be willing to experiment a little bit, but the experimentation cannot come at the expense of, of the comfort level of your quarterback behind the, that offensive line. And so that's something that this regime as an, as an entire regime has to figure out together. Before the clock expires in the two-minute drill, I have to ask this for Mike March's purpose and his benefit. How did Justin Fields look in practice this week? 
up and down, right? I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's still a struggle offensively and, and listen, he doesn't have the receivers uh, that he's going to be playing with for, for at full strength during the regular season. He's still working behind the line. He's still learning a system. I will say this. And, and Colleen Kane and I wrote a piece on Chicago Tribune.com about Justin's month in training camp. And, and I don't sense that the struggles are weighing on Justin the way that they maybe weighed on Mitch Trubisky in 2019 Different expectations for those Bears teams, right? The 2019 Bears were expected to compete for a Super Bowl, and so that pressure got heavy really quickly. I think Justin's also built a little bit stronger in that regard to, to withstand some of that. But in terms of production on the field, I, I haven't loved what I've seen, and I, there's nothing that tells me that some sort of imminent major breakthrough is coming in the first month or two of the season. Hmm. What did Mike Martz think of Mitch? I don't recall. We might have to dig into the archives, but no, let's not. Studs can get one a homework assignment over the long weekend. I've mentioned Mike Martz much more than I expected to today for the entire year. Those are memories I would rather repress along with your 2005 injury to Rex Grossman. Thank you. Um, (laughs) All right. So Dan, that wraps it up. Well, so Saturday night in Cleveland, Browns bears, any last things we haven't talked about you think are worth paying attention to in the, in the preseason finale? Well, I'm going to tease a couple things for next week, right? You always okay. want to get our audience to come back next week. Number one, there's going to be a really good surprise. If all breaks the way I think it's going to break, there's going to be a really nice surprise next week on this podcast. Tune in for that. Number two, on Monday, when we come back to House Hall, I mentioned that practice will be closed to the media. But guess what opens, David? The locker room. I have not I have not been inside the locker room here at Hallis Hall since locker cleanout day following the 2019 season. That feels like it was 65 years ago at this point. I'm not even sure how many players that were in that locker room on the final day of the 2019 season are still around. It's like Eddie Jackson, Cody Whitehair, uh, David Montgomery would have been a rookie then, right? And I'm not sure who else. Uh, DeAndre Houston Carson. Cairo Santos? No, he was not. He, he had been there previously, but he wasn't in there then. Um, right. right? I mean, you, you, that was Eddie Pinero's year as the kicker. Oh, yeah, so, Eddie. How so, dare we forget so he, Eddie? He cleaned out his locker and hasn't been back. So that locker room, I don't even know where people sit anymore, right? So it's going to be a, a, like a, this novel experience of walking in there and getting back to this world where we can now uh, sit down with a guy at his stall and have conversation and, and create some of that uh, relationship and rapport and, and knowledge building that that is going to be instrumental to what we do. But it's also just fun to, to be back in the locker room and be able to establish those connections. It's going to be great to walk in and see everybody have their running shoes kind of stacked against the wall. Get your track shoes on so you can run out of there Yeah, when, when the media comes in and you can get out of there, right? Well, I love the tease for next week's pod. Come back for everybody who uh, wants, wants to see that, Bears fans. So we will be back after the finale. Next week we will drop a couple episodes getting closer to September 11th. Thank you for joining us today on the Take the North podcast. It's at Take the North pod on Twitter, at Dan Wiederer at David Haw. Thank you, Adam Staczynski. He is our producer. He is putting this all together. And thank you for joining us, Talking Bears. We will be here all season long. Episode 5 ends. We'll be looking forward to Saturday night in Cleveland. Thanks for listening.